Hey, and welcome back, Florida, to this podcast, your EOC Florida American Scuttlebutt. Woohoo! That's right. We're back. I'm Mr. D, and over there is... Miss V. And we're here to bring to you the uh, podcast delight you've been waiting for, the, the thing that's going to get you to pass the EOC with flying colors and, and make you uh, uh, excited about history again. Here it is, your American Scuttlebutt podcast. This, Ooh. yeah, this week, we bring to you imperialism. Yay! And can you define for us maybe what imperialism is, Miss V? Imperialism, in short, is taking over another country in some way, in some form. Um, politically, economically, socially, maybe a combination of all of those things. Sure, it ends up being that, doesn't it? Yeah. Um, and today I want to use a really good example of imperialism, which is the annexation of Hawaii, which I think gets overlooked when we talk about imperialism. We tend to focus on Spanish-American War, but there's more than that. There is and more this, than that. the story intertwines with the Spanish-American War, so it's okay. Yeah, of course. You know, when I think of Hawaii, I think of things like um, islands, volcanoes, um, pineapples. Lilo and Stitch. Lilo, sure, Lilo and Stitch. I think of <laughs> I think of uh, white sandy beaches and uh, hula dancers. Hula dancers, sure. And, and I don't know if you knew this. Uh, many of the hotels have um, instructions in two languages. Hawaiian. No. these are the these are the more upscale elite hotels that i might stay at yeah you're really elite i I guess so i must be i must say bougie bougie i might be an imperialist um english is one the other japanese oh Oh, japanese didn't even give you a chance speaking of imperialism which we'll get to when we get to the world war ii section Ooh, i'm glad you said that though because hawaii's in the pacific and we need to know that, that that location is going to be strategic for the United States. Because a lot of times when we go into these areas in this time period, um, it's militarily strategic. Sometimes it's about economics. Sure, we just don't want to take over the Hawaiians, do we? Um, no, it's about money. Everything's about money. And, you know, who really just wants to go to Hawaii? I mean, I'm sure, you know, Oprah's got a plantation out there, you know. Uh, Oprah. Oprah. Do you know who Oprah is? <laughs> do our kids Oprah? know who Oprah is? I know is? who Oprah is. You do, because Oprah is uh, uh, America's first billionaire female entrepreneur. And she owns what a... Pl- is this, what's what, what does this have to do with Hawaii? Well, she lives on Hawaii. She has a, a plantation on Hawaii. Mm, I didn't know that. Interesting, but right? That's cool. Wait, what kind of plantation? Well, uh, like like a large farming. I think they farm like like flowers or something on her uh, sugar? plantation. Sugar cane, but might might be sugar cane. We'll see in the history. Be super relevant to what I'm about to talk let's, about. Let's imagine it is sugar cane, <laughs> and let's say that um, Oprah, you know, uh, went there to live. But a lot of what we know of America was that America really wanted to go to open the door. Let's say to China. Mm-hmm. So, Open door policy. There we go. Uh-huh. So I see what you did there. I did. So I'm setting us up here for, uh, you know, what is American imperialism when it comes to Hawaii for the Hawaiians? Well, I'm excited to tell you the story. I can hear Queen it. Queen Liliuokalani is like awesome, and she's central to this story. Okay, it's not all about her, but she's part of the story. All right, give it to us. Okay, so 
first of all, Queen Liliuokalani, she's the last monarch of Hawaii. Like she will be the last native Hawaiian ruler before the Americans and the English take over the islands completely. Um, you, what you need to know about her is that obviously she's from the royal family. She's educated in a missionary school. So missionaries are coming from the United States and other uh, parts of the world to Christianize the native people. Right. And that's one of our motives of imperialism. Um, we talked about military and economic, but another reason that uh, countries will go and try to take over other countries or at least go into and interfere in other countries is religion or humanitarian issues. So she grows up um, learning to speak English. She's fluent in English because she went to a Christian school. Um, another fun fact, she wrote Aloha Oi. What is that, that again? Alo Aloha Oi. I don't, I'm not familiar with that one. It's like their national, like not national song, but their, it's their song. You'd know it. If you Googled it and you YouTubed it, you'd be like, oh my gosh, I know that song. I'll, I'm going to do that now. Yeah. No, not, not, not right now. Oh, not right now. There's, but we are no scuttlebutting right now. No, no scuttlebutting. Maybe our students can do that on their own time. They can sing us, you know, yeah. maybe they, their own version as they come on into uh, to class or something. You need like a ukulele. I, I'd anyway. love to own one. Anyway. Um, she's going to be important to the story um, later on, but first her brother becomes king. So her father's the king. He dies. 1874, her older brother's going to become the king. And this is where um, things start to go south. There are a lot of Americans and English Englishmen living in Hawaii because they are growing sugar. They're um, monopolizing on sugar plantations, kind of like we mentioned with Oprah, although we don't know what's on Oprah's plantation. <laughs> we'll pretend it's sugar. Right. So they're growing sugar. They want to make a lot of money off of it. Um, and they're kind of like tired of the Hawaiians because the Hawaiians are are not wanting them to take over their island. Understandably, they don't want all the white people coming in and taking over everything. Um, there's going to be a lot of conflict. But her older brother, who's king at the time, is kind of um, a puppet for them. He kind of gives into their demands very easily. Um, and he'll go on to sign something called the Bayonet Constitution, basically stripping his own monarchy of its power, giving all the power to um, basically the white landowners that are living in Hawaii. They force him to dismiss his cabinet, and they threaten him and say, yeah, we'll just kill all of you if you don't do what we say. Um, the reason this is all happening is because in 1890, President McKinley issues a tariff on foreign sugar. Hawaii is a foreign Ooh, country. There you go. So what's a tariff, Mr. D? Well, Could you explain that for us? Sure. A tariff is a tax on imported goods. So the idea would be that you want Americans to create these goods or services and um, therefore keeping the money in America. Um, and any foreign goods uh, would be more expensive. Therefore, the competition would go towards people choosing an American good instead. Right. So since Hawaii is not part of America at this point... The sugar growers in Hawaii are mad that the tariff is negatively affecting them. They figure, hey, if we become part of the United States, then the tariff won't affect us anymore and it'll be good for business. So it, let, let's try to like become part of the U.S. Let's try to get annexed into the United States. Obviously, the problem there is that the native people of Hawaii don't want that because they're living in their own country. Um, so... This is going to be a big problem for Queen Liliuokalani. Um, 
she's already not well-liked by the Americans and the Englishmen because um, while her brother was gone, her brother goes on this like long trip around the world. Um, she's left in charge for a little while. And one of the things she does is she closes all the ports to Hawaii uh, because there was a smallpox epidemic. So she like completely says, forget trade. Like we don't want people coming into this country and spreading the disease, which most people look back now, historians look back and they're like, oh, that was a really good idea. But at the time, the sugar growers were really unhappy with that decision because it hurt their trade. So they already don't like her. Um, when her brother dies, she does not carry on this bayonet constitution. She tries to establish um, a new constitution that will restore her power. And that's happening in 1891. So the white people, unhappy. 1891, interesting. It's the same year as, I believe, as the Populist People's Party is being formed mm. out in the West in uh, the United States. A lot's happening in the U.S. in this time Exciting period. Exciting time. It gets more exciting. Oh, let's hear it. Okay. So, right, she becomes powerful. She's in charge now. She says, forget you guys. I'm doing what I want. I'm taking all the power back. Um, naturally, the Americans will stage a coup and overthrow her. What's a coup? Um, they cre what? What's a coup? It's when the people, well, in this case, the Americans, overthrow the leader. Basically, are staging their own new government. There you go, um, C-O-U-P, coup. Yeah, coup, coup, coup. Um, in 1893, um, the Marines come in. Um, they stage this whole entire crazy revolution um, without the permission of the president. President Cleveland was not on board with this. And in fact, President Cleveland did not agree with it. And he knew Queen Lulukalani, and he felt really bad for her, and he promised to protect her, but he didn't really. So... They overthrow her. She's like on house arrest. Like she doesn't want to get into a violent revolution confrontation with them, with the Americans here. So she just is basically lost, locked up in her little um, queen's mansion and, and, and gives in to their demands. Um, she steps down. In 1894, Hawaii officially becomes the Republic of Hawaii, led by Sanford Dole. He'll be president of the Republic of Hawaii. President Dole, D O L E, like, like mm -hmm. you mean like the pineapple and the fruit people? Yeah. Oh my goodness. Vaguely connected. It sounds um, like a banana republic. But in 1895, there's a counter revolution. There's a counter revolution. Um, they try to free her, like the Hawaiians. They rise up, they try to free her, and they try to like overtake the Americans. That fails, and she officially abdicates her power in 1895, gives in, gives up. Um, and that's it. Like Hawaii's whole native structure is completely torn apart and the Americans have taken over. However, um, it's not till 1898 that Hawaii will be um, annexed into the United States. Why 1898, Mr. D? Why 1898? Uh, There's one major <laughs> war that's taking place in 1898. I, I was about to say the major war there is, of course, the Spanish-American War, which is interesting because we uh, fight against the Spanish in Cuba, but really around the world. And again, the goal is to gain territories in order for the United States to open up trade with the Far East. 
China, Japan. Oh, China being the biggest one, of course. Uh, and a series of islands in the Pacific, Fili- not Hawaii, but ones that we need and want. I, Philippines, right? The Philippines, there we yeah. Go. Bingo. And in 1898, the reason that they annexed Hawaii, their president, I should say, annexes Hawaii, is because it's going to be used as a naval base on the way to the Philippines during the Spanish-American War. And as we all know, by that point, I mean, uh, there's no airplanes, really. Uh, not yet. Uh, that was the only way. Yeah, the only way to control is to control the seas. And uh, that's going to be with boats. Big steel boats. Uh, sorry. Uh, yeah, steel, right? Iron? Iron's first and then I steel. Guess. Yeah, yeah. I don't know. Iron and then steel. Um, and, that, and that's it. And I like that story because it kind of shows um, kind of the disregard for the Native culture and the whole structure of their government. Um we have all the reasons for imperialism there. We have the missionary schools. We have the economics, or like wanting to make money, wanting to get away from that tariff that was imposed on the sugar. Um, we have the military motivation to annex Hawaii. But Hawaii does not become a state until when? Can you guess? 1950. 59. 59. Ah, it's but you were 50th, so close. It's the 50th state. <laughs> With Alaska, which yep. is crazy because Alaska was annexed before Hawaii was even. Oh, yeah, the 1860s, right? Yeah. Interesting. Yeah, so that's that's imperialism. Um, we, we have a little Spanish-American War mention in there, but I feel like it gets a little too much attention sometimes. So. Sure, all the, te- all the history teachers like teaching that stuff. They don't like teaching necessarily the Hawaii stuff. Yeah, Hawaii's awesome. And, and have you been to Hawaii? Not been, not been to Hawaii. Never been to Hawaii. You? Me neither. No. no. Maybe we'll... we'll Take all the students uh, on a field trip. No, not going to happen. Um, yeah. <laughs> but oh, again, interesting thing, fun fact. Uh, Oprah's plantation, uh, she grows. <laughs> she grows. Were um, you doing some Googling I, while I, I was talking? I, I might I might have been. I, I, I'm a good multitasker, like the students like to say. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, carrots and beets and radishes and lettuces. Mm, all, all different that is kinds. not what I expected at all. All, all different kinds of, cool. of farming. Uh, going on on the Oprah plantation in uh, Hawaii. Because, of course, the volcanic soil is what it is, you know. And why, I mean, I think we should just talk about this in general. Why is sugar so important? Because, like, we're talking about there's a tariff on foreign sugar and, like, all the sugar plant. I mean, there were sugar plantations in Cuba, too. That's one of the reasons Americans were so interested in the Spanish-American War was maintaining sugar plantations in Cuba as well. What's the deal with sugar? Man, it's man, it's uh, this time of the year or this time of the century. There, it's <laughs> it's uh, you've got um, more people working, uh, more people poor, uh, a need to stimulate these people quickly. Uh, cigarettes will become more popular during this time. Will become addictive and will give people a quick energy and an addictive nature. And they're able to uh, smoke in fifteen minutes and then go back to work. You know, we we remember later on in nineteen eleven the uh, Triangle Shirtwaist Factory where the you know the the, oh, yeah. the the businessmen locked up the women so they could wouldn't steal and they wouldn't take breaks and you know the the, the whole uh, business disaster. burned down. You know, and over one hundred and forty okay. women are going to die uh, in that in that disaster. Um, so you want to give people a, a, a quick stimulating uh, uh, thing that they're addicted to. Sugar is it? It's a luxury good uh, way from way back uh, centuries ago. We we spoke about it. Uh, in like the 1600s, 1700s. And, and again, you want more sugar. Cheap, though. That's a thing. And so you need cheap labor. And the cheap labor they're going to find is the Hawaiians, right? 
There we go. See, it comes back again. Another reason for imperialism, (laughs) cheap labor and cheap markets once you've produced the product, right? Because we call that extractive economies. Yes. Where the place you're going to, right? Like Hawaii, you extract the material, then you produce it in America, and then you can sell the excess goods back to the Hawaiians or whoever we're taking over at the moment. Sure. I mean, that's why iPhones are becoming more and more expensive. We're making them in China and and they're making their own. They don't don't need our labor anymore. Wow. What a great connection. There you go. That's what we're about here in American Scuttlebutt is the connections to history and, and your reality and your everyday world. Critical thinkers all around, all passing the EOC right here in this podcast. Exciting. You know what comes up next? What? History Crush. History Crush is next. So let's play the music for History Crush now. All right, Miss V, are you ready to guess your History Crush? I'm really excited. So am I. I could tell. Uh, Is it? Okay, hold on. Wait, you can't ask questions already. What? Every time I try to ask questions, so we need to establish the rules here. Can I ask the one question that I always ask? Which is? Is it a man or a woman? You're always worried about gender. I think uh, within the questions, um, you'll be able to figure It'll that out. It'll give it away? I, I think so. Okay. All right. So I'm ready. So you're going to give me three clues. I'm going to give you three clues. All in- and I need to get it by the final clue. You need to get by the final clue. Or you lose. And you'll be the big loser. You'll get the big L today. <laughs> now, here we go. Uh, and they will get more difficult as they... No, they'll get easier. No. <laughs> <laughs> they'll get easier as, as we go along. The first one will be the most difficult one, of course. Okay. Again, so history crush in the time period of imperialism. So we're talking, what, um, I mean, this person is important, 1850s. Uh, really 1850s. Eight, hold on. 1850s. These people are old. Come on. They, 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 they have long lifespans in this time period. 1850s all, all the way through the 1890s, really. Mm, okay. So here's your first question. Who are we crushing on this week, Miss V? This person born, interestingly enough, in Florida, New York. Do you know there's a place called Florida, New York? What? No, I didn't. There is, I guess. Okay. I found that out. This radical Republican is said to have inspired the actions of one John Brown in John <gasps> Brown's raid. No, that was our first episode. I know, bringing it back. Oh. And he ins- this person inspired, a radical Republican that inspired John Brown with a speech that they gave. Oh my gosh. Okay, so John Brown, so the radical Republican, I'm assuming an abolitionist or at least close to an abolitionist in the way that he thinks. Um, I'm assuming it's a he. What, why? Why would you assume that? You said they gave a speech. Well, gave I guess women can give speeches too. I, the Grimke sisters. Sure. Uh, Sojourner Truth gave a famous speech in 1849. Ain't a woman. Ain't I a woman. Okay. Whew, this is tough. Um, but this has to do with imperialism, right? It eventually does, yes. But this person it spans ev- the gap here of all time uh, periods. Wow. Okay. It's a good one. I, oh, I did my research. I know. <laughs> I know it's good because it's 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 going into a whole different topic. I didn't think we were going to go into. Right. Mm, can I just throw out a name sure. that I know has to do with imperialism during that time period? That you also think might be a radical Republican? Sure. 
I don't know if they're a radical Republican, but I'm assuming they're a Republican. If you get this. <laughs> William Seward. Yes, that's right. <laughs> Are you kidding? <laughs> that's correct. <laughs> Let me tell you how I figured this out. Go ahead, please. Since we're learning how to think, be critical thinkers. All I remembered was... <laughs> William Seward, I remembered that he worked for Lincoln. Right. And he purchased Alaska and they called it Seward's Folly or Seward's Icebox. Right there. Everybody made fun of him for buying Alaska in that time period. Correct. And so I assumed since he worked for Lincoln, he was a Republican. Assumed and that's correctly. the only imperialistic thing that I remember <laughs> from Lincoln's presidency. And so that's how I, I don't know, I just threw it out there. So I just picked the most, uh, uh, the, the most uh, clear person to choose, I suppose, maybe. That's, that's not it. the clearest person. I thought it would be Alfred. Um, uh, Mahan. Yeah, yeah I I'll, thought it would be him. Oh, I thought, thought about him too. Uh, but it's tough. When you're talking about imperialism and, and the big figures, you're, you're not going to get a lot of uh, female figures. You're not going to get a lot of Native American figures. You're not going to get a lot of minorities necessarily unless it's opposing imperialism, which I thought you, I might go that way. But many of those are kind of before this time. They're like Mexican-American War uh, mm -hmm. time period. So, um, you know, I didn't want to go Helen Keller because she's a little bit later on in World That's War One. That's late, yeah. Uh, the other, you want to you hear the other clues? Yes, right. absolutely. Um the second clue for William Seward also was going to be this person opposed the Gadsden purchase, mm. but he contemplated purchasing Greenland. Oh, I didn't know that. Yeah, and Iceland, apparently. Uh, What's but, wrong with him? Why is he going for all these northern places that had <laughs> nothing or seemingly had nothing? Um, well, I think they're locations that could be uh, refueling depots for uh, Navy. Because Gadsden Purchase isn't. It's just for railroads. It's just, it's too domestic. It's too local. It's yeah. it's not uh, grand enough to get to uh, uh, other locations like Europe or um, or uh, China in, in the case of uh, uh, Hawaii. Mm -hmm. And the last one, um, which you would have got it by that point, I'm sure. But you, you got it anyway. You got it in the first one. Uh, I was going to say for our students, his folly. I would have gotten this, <laughs> I know. yeah is now one of our greatest resources. Yeah, because we didn't say why. Alaska. Why Alaska? Because oil. That's right. Lots of oil, lots of uh, lumber. Mm-hmm. And uh, little cute polar bear cubs. How about that? Aww. Yeah, we've got plenty of those there. Whales. Well, well, the whales will be fine when the ice caps melt, I suppose. Polar Aww. bear cubs, not so much. Wow. But it's okay. Thank you, William Seward, for being <laughs> Secretary of State, right? Under Lincoln, yes, then, that's what he was. Yeah. Then, then again, under uh, Johnson, um, and was uh, shown as, um, especially under Johnson, as like a, a there's a famous cartoon of Johnson being real small and Seward like cutting his hair and like trying to like ease his presidency by um, yeah. uh, purchasing all these things that people thought at the time was just uh, way too much money. Uh, nothing's there. Uh, it's 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 the great American ice desert up there, uh, and it's going to have no purpose. Uh, but it is a military threat, certainly during the Cold War later on, we'll see. During World War II, we use it uh, as okay. a naval station. And then again, um, you know, like you said, with the resources of, of oil uh, that, that are found there. So an excellent resource. And Miss V wins yet again in just one, with his count up here, in just one, her history crush, William Seward, yes. Secretary of State. Great job. Woo! I did it. Yeah, clap. Yay. 
our students like when we clap. <laughs> ne- Do they? they? They love it. Add us on Edsby and tell us if you like when we clap. Yes, add us on Edsby. We're at Edsby <laughs> at Scuttlebutt. <laughs> um, okay. Next Are you ready up, for the next segment? The next segment, ladies and gentlemen, is of course, and Ms. Veal, uh, tell us what it's about. Would you like to introduce the next segment? Florida Fru-Fru, my favorite. Florida <laughs> Fru-Fru. Florida Fru-Fru is um, Florida history because the EOC contains Florida history, and there's a lot of different things to, to talk about. So for each um, time period that we talk about, we include a little bit of Florida Fru-Fru, a little extra. That's what Fru-Fru is, right? A little, it's extra. little decoration. It's decoration. It is, uh, Something yeah. on top. Yeah. Like Cool Whip. So, I, like, I like Cool Whip on top. Do you like... Like extra things on top of like desserts or foods or something. You know, I was just thinking about eating chocolate waffles with, um, yeah, like, like a, Cool Whip on top. Cool, is it Cool Whip or do you do the canned the little like Ready Whip kind of stuff? Either. Really? I prefer. I think I prefer the canned actually. The can like the I spray like the sound. Oh, it's great. We're way off topic from Florida Fru Fru. Are we? You don't know what the topic is. I have no idea. That's your job. So tell us, this, Mr. D, what is Florida Fru Fru about today? All right, here we go. This week, Florida Fru Fru brings to you a location uh, in Florida. Of course, we think about locations, historical events. And this week, it's, let's see, if uh, Miss V got into a car and drove north <laughs> for seven hours. <laughs> are you a fast driver, Miss V? I think, like, you go speed limit-ish, or are you kind of more, uh, like, on um, long drives? My, my rule's 10 above. I think any more is obnoxious and right. dangerous. How about below? Do you, do, you, do you ease up a little bit, or you kind of stay within the speed limit and, and above? I'll go five below sometimes. Okay. So if I feel, if I just feel that it's appropriate, you know, I'm a very conscious driver. Good. That's excellent. I think. And we want our students to be too. So based on that, Ms. V, based on that and uh, Google Maps, it'll take you six hours and 53 minutes to get to this location. From and, where? And still from here, right here. Where's here? Uh, Hillsborough County Schools. <laughs> okay. Okay. Just checking. So, and you'll still be in Florida. Where are you? Oh, uh, I mean, there's a lot of places that are up. I'm not. I'm really not good at this thing because I do not drive. There you on go. Long trips, and I bet a lot of our students have not either <laughs> gone to this location, um, Jacksonville. Further, <laughs> we're talking. What's further than that? The other way, Pensacola, Florida. Oh, yep. You know, I've never been there. Uh, I've driven through it. And was it great? Uh, it was not. If, I, we didn't stop at all. Uh, sorry to say, but I've, I've come to learn a little bit about Pensacola and the history of Florida and how important Pensacola is to the history of Florida, uh, especially during the time period of um, the early statehood of Florida uh, and World War I and World War II. Hey. Do you know the nicknames of Pensacola? I, I found out that Pensacola, Florida has several nicknames. Oh, no. Are they appropriate? Uh, I... Yes, I mean, they're, <laughs> I think they are. Um, let's see. Uh, the first nickname I found, and I, I might sprinkle these throughout. The first nickname I found is um, Pensacola, Florida. Oh, it, it's more of a tag or a slogan, I suppose. Um, the world's whitest beaches. <laughs> That's not what I thought you were going to say. Uh, <laughs> you thought I said wide? No, I thought you were going to say, like, the world's whitest people or something No, like no, that. not, not people. Well, it could be, depending on... 
uh, how you take a look at this, uh, uh, the topic we've got here. The whitest, uh, the whitest beaches, okay. apparently. They, they, they have the slogan that their beaches are the best. Um, the other nickname I found, which is great, P-Cola. <laughs> I never heard that one. That, th- that sounds, mm, okay. You think of O-Town, like Orlando, P-Cola. Pepsi Cola, I suppose. But we're yeah. not here to talk about Pepsi. We're not here to talk about the beaches. We're here to talk about the depth of their ports. <laughs> okay. Because during imperialism, we know that, hey, ports are important, aren't they? Indeed, they, they are. They are, because you got to have these boats, and they're getting bigger and bigger, and they got to, you know, get, they got to get closer to your location. And it's the only way you're going to offload uh, goods, commerce, and apparently... Along the Gulf beaches, all the way from the, and they call it the, uh, what do they call it? The uh, uh, the panhandle of Florida, right? Because mm-hmm. it's almost like the handle of a pan, I guess. Is that where it comes from? Yeah. The panhandle? Right? The crook yeah. of the arm, right? That's what I thought. That's it. Um, Pensacola has the deepest ports along the Gulf, apparently. This is important. What is this? So does that mean more <laughs> boats? Oh, sorry. <laughs> oh, the... So someone disagrees with us. It must be must be a Seminole Indian attack. <laughs> um, does that mean they can have more boats? Like, what does a deeper port it indicate? Me- I don't know what that means. It means more boats, certainly, but it also means larger boats getting closer to the shore, because the larger boats are the ones that are holding the containers and uh, the, the the heavier uh, material. Let's say, right? Okay. So you want you want to get the biggest boats that have the biggest most stuff on it to get into your port. And that is what brings us to Pensacola, Florida. You know, Pensacola is also known as the city of five flags. What are the five flags? Five flags, five countries that controlled Pensacola throughout its history. Now, some of this is going before our EOC time period. Some of it's going after, but uh, they, they all play a role in the history of Pensacola and why Pensacola is important for our EOC. Uh, let's see. Can you can you name of a few that in that Spain. area? Spain, yes, is one. <laughs> Wait, is the United States one of them, or is that? Yes, yes. Well, let's make the United States one. Okay. Um, That's France. Two. France is three. Excellent. Two more. Uh, what are the other two? They're both extremely easy, and you're going to kick yourself if you don't get these. Uh, okay. Now, now I'm like nervous. You'll think your way, are you going to talk your way through this? Uh, there are no thoughts in my head. Britain? Yes, Britain is one. And, oh, okay. And the okay. last one is like right, let's say, on the nose, if we will. Like you don't have what? to go too far past the United States to answer this one. Canada? No. You get Mexico? A, you get into, in between Canada and Mexico. <laughs> but it was, it was only a country for like five years. Uh, um, okay, you're going to have to... Let's say 1860 to 1865. Who controlled Uh, that area? (laughs) Who controlled uh, Pensacola? Yeah, who controlled that, the the whole southern region from 1860 to 65? Um, I thought the United States did. They did, but part of them broke away. Oh, oh, (laughs) that's, oh, okay, that's kind of a trick. It is kind of a trick. The Confederacy. The Confederacy, that's right. See, you talked it out. Our our students would think that's a trick also, but the Confederate States, the United States, right, the Confederate States uh, during the Civil War controlled Pensacola, and they used it as a naval base. Mm -hmm. And the Spanish used it as a naval base. And the British and the French, all of them used it as naval bases because of the deep 
ports. Now, this is going to come into our uh, EOC time period because right before World War I, and we talked about just earlier, uh, uh, you know, from boats and Alfred Thayer Mahan saying that boats needed to be the most important thing, then we get planes. Planes take over boats because planes go up in the air. Planes go faster than boats. Planes can go where no boat can go. And so the United States, based on the ports, the size of the port that was used as the first naval air force base in 1914, is in Pensacola. That's Naval Air Station Pensacola. The first, like, ever? The fir- first in the United States history, yeah. The first naval air station is in Pensacola. So, so that's, that's going to be really important for World War II. Starting in World War One, and then certainly for World War Two, all the training is going to happen in Pensacola. For most all the aviators, all all the uh, uh, um, flight crew, uh, I've got some names here that you might know: John Glenn, right? Oh, know uh, him. NASA, of course, uh, and, and of course Neil Armstrong, first man on the moon. All trained at Pensacola. All trained at Pensacola, and almost every other naval air power, uh, uh, you know, uh, pilot uh, goes through Pensacola first. Uh, because they had the again the deepest port in the Gulf led to the um, naval air naval bases naval air bases uh, and, and now they have multiple air stations in that area home to the Blue Angels. Oh, right, yeah. Blue Angels are stationed right there, um, and our Navy is strong and, and and they continue to to grow in Pensacola. That's one of their main leading resources of economic. Uh, economics in their city is the Air Force and everything surrounding the Air Force. So when you drive through I-10, let's say, to go towards New Orleans, um, you'll see uh, giant statues of, like, airplanes, you know, like right there, because that's their hub. That's their one thing that is most important to them in their economics. So you got you got one thing there. I got a, kind of a side note here for our Florida fruit fruit little extra on top. Maybe the cherry on top of Miss V's, you know, uh, waffle uh, <laughs> whipped cream kind of thing. This is the fruit fruit on top of the fruit fruit. This is, is what you're saying. This is extra extra. Is I looked up uh, information on, uh, of course, Pensacola, and the, the name comes from the Spanish interpretation of the original natives that were there in Pensacola. So the Spanish called them and, and kind of thought the name was. Pensacola. Uh, mm. I, I don't know what that is in Spanish. I don't think it really means anything. I think it's just their interpretation. Uh, but interestingly enough, it also, Pensacola housed, imprisoned the famous Native American Geronimo. Oh. Yeah. I didn't know any of that. Not me neither. Geronimo was an Apache chief uh, in the south, south, southern part of America in that area. He was captured, and I found out that his name, Geronimo, means. The one who yawns. I mean, you think like big, you know, like, like the okay. one who kills buffalo or the, the the cloud runner or something cool like that. But no, the one who yawns was Geronimo. No, you I t- feel that. Yeah, you have to go Geronimo like that. <laughs> <laughs> and one last thing about Geronimo. Interestingly enough, uh, he uh, fighting as an Apache against the Americans in the late 1800s during the time of imperialism. We think outward of Hawaii, but also inward. Um, in, uh, in the Florida region, at least, he's going to fight the Americans and he's fighting the Mexicans as well. He's fighting both sides. Dang. Yeah. He's, he's all a, over the place. He's all over the place trying to fight for his people. So Florida Fru-Fru, there you go. Pensacola Naval Air Bases. Can I make a connection? Please do. I don't want to steal your Fru-Fru from you, but because you were talking about ports, while you were talking, it reminded me of 
again, Spanish-American War, you know, because we always talk about that. And I was thinking of the Port of Tampa. Yes. And how that was like, when you said, like how you were saying Pensacola was one of the main places where um, they trained and where the soldiers like leave from. Tampa during the Spanish-American War, that's where the soldiers left from. Teddy Roosevelt left from there. Old Teddy, there you go. To get to Cuba, right? To fight in the Spanish-American War. So yes, the old... That's uh, cute. That's awesome. Yeah, the Rough that's Riders. Cool. The Rough Riders. There you go. That's 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 fruit on top of fruit on top of fruit. I mean, it's just... It's <laughs> sweetness all around here, tied up with the sugar cane and the Hawaiians. Uh, so Oprah? positive. Oh, oh, Oprah, exactly. Let's leave it on that. <laughs> Remember, your EOC is coming up, kids, and uh, here you go. Listen, download us. We've got imperialism here coming out, and uh, man, what would be next? I think next we'd be talking about, um, like, the cultural shifts in the 1920s. Oh, this is going to get dangerous. <laughs> That's a good one. That That's a good topic. C- certainly a good topic. Cultural shifts in the 1920s. Love it. Stay tuned for that one. Until next time, I'm Mr. D. And I'm Miss B. This has been American Scuttlebutt.